0: Hey, everybody, I'm Matt Valley, and welcome to another episode of the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. Super excited today to welcome my guest, Leona Nodge, who is currently dealing with the heat in Phoenix, Arizona. 113 degrees over the weekend, I think you said. (laughs) Well, it's June in Phoenix, so you know that's coming. You chose to live there, so there you go. (laughs) All right. Uh, So Leona is a market research manager at Intel, which, in addition to inventing the microprocessor in 1971, is to this day one of the largest, most important, and most innovative tech companies in the world making all of our lives a little bit better every day and certainly uh, a little bit more um, technology oriented, let's say. So all good stuff. Um, And Leona's been there for a little over 10 years, I think in a couple of different roles, but it's not Leona's original career. And so her story is really fascinating and uh, we'll learn all about it. We'll explore the ins and outs of Leona's career journey on today's podcast. So, welcome to the show, Leona. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, super excited to have. Awesome. <laughs> super excited. So, Thanks. I'm really glad we connected because I think your story is really interesting. It's just perfect for uh, this kind of podcast. It's sort of tailor made, right? Yeah. Um, so, usually we talk about research first, and we'll certainly get to that. We'll hear about your role in intel and all that good stuff, but. Why don't we go all the way to the beginning? So I'm going to give you the floor. Tell us, uh, tell us about Leona getting started.
1: All right. I mean, I could go all the way back to when I was seven. Um, okay. I grew up in Croatia, and um, I had a really great um, violin teacher. Uh-huh. Um, and second year of playing the violin, all of a sudden, I found myself winning competitions, and I loved it, right? And so okay. as you go through school um you it was always a part of my life so you know i was always in orchestras and you know little groups and festivals and whatnot and always taking lessons so it was just my thing right some kids go into sports and whatever this was my thing um and uh we emigrated to the united states sometime in my high school years and i continued to take those lessons and Mm -hmm. so for me it was one of those decisions in high school where I didn't want to do that as a side thing. I wanted that to be my primary focus, because I knew that I was one of those kids that always had to practice a lot. It didn't come easily. And I enjoyed that process. I really liked, you know, getting in the zone. And there's lots written about that today, these days. Um, But I really liked just, you know, closing that door and just doing what my teacher said. So, um, so when it came to choosing a place to go to college I was like well of course I'm going to go to a conservatory and so I auditioned um, we were in New York at the time Juilliard Manhattan School of Manus and I got in um, and chose Manhattan School of Music and that's oh, yeah. located on the upper west side of Manhattan and that's where I spend majority of you know uh, my early career and so right. after you they know could- getting a
0: yeah. can I ask you a question, Leona? Yeah, I'm kind of curious. You mentioned, you mentioned that when you started playing, it didn't come naturally to you. So I'm, I'm curious to know how much of your, uh, you know, the draw to the instrument was the challenge. How much of it was the music? Did you really love the music, or you know, what what was it about the?
1: It was. It's really violin? interesting. I think it's a combination of. Um, both, because I remember, you know, cassette tapes that we had back. Then. I'm dating myself. <laughs> That's true.
0: Right, um, and me too. <laughs> I, I had
1: this one cassette tape of Beethoven Violin Concerto that I played over and over when I was eight years old, and it just, it okay. just spoke to me, and I really wanted to be able to be that good to play that, right?
0: Okay. Um,
1: and so part of it was an inspiration from that tape. Part of it was the encouragement that I got from my teacher. I think this is why music education is so important, is that those first connections with your educator or teacher or coach um, will instill this love that will go for for a lifetime, right? Right. So, you know, that was a, a part of it. And then also I saw progress. Like if you did XYZ. Right you got to the next level and what's interesting about violin playing it's a very established school that's been followed for you know years hundreds of years right and you kind of just it's very methodical you know you cannot play this until you get this done right you can't go to fifth position until you get to the third position so that methodical structure really spoke to me um and you saw getting better and better and as i got those wins it was you know, a self-repetuating um, process.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. Cool. All right. So you're at the, you get into the Manhattan School of Music. Oh, and that
1: was that. heaven. It was just, oh. I was surrounded by nerds like me and I <laughs> loved it and we played all kinds of great stuff. And then when it came to um, end of bachelor's then I got into the master's program, got to study with all the best of the best. And at the same time, I started to do gigs right and pay for my way through school through both teaching and um, gigging and when I say gigs it's kind of like even though they were classical gigs they're still gigs you know they're freelance they call you up your your name gets known around town and you start getting uh, better and better gigs Um, and so um, after I got done with my master's degree that's all I had I had a handful of students Um, that I did on Mondays because your days off are always Mondays and possibly Tuesdays. Um, And then you work on your gigs Wednesday through, you know, the weekend. Right. Sure. Um, And so it's a combination of winning auditions for regional orchestras around the city, right. In the tri-state area, Mm -hmm. um, getting your name, name known so you could start subbing on Broadway. You know, that's why I'm wearing the, the Broadway, you know, I'm a big Lin-Manuel Miranda fan. There sure it um, is. So, um, yeah, go Hamilton. Um, but <laughs> that wasn't on when I was playing way back when. Um, and so we started doing that kind of stuff. But the ultimate goal was for me to get a, a steady gig at one of the, you know, top national orchestras. Right. And so throughout all of that, even while I was working was I was taking coachings and doing auditions. And so, you know, you travel around the country and do auditions and sometimes I would make it. And sometimes I wouldn't most of the time I didn't, but you know, you get past certain, you know, audition stages. Um, But some of them were successful locally and therefore you could piece together a career. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that career while, you know, not extremely lucrative, it was enough for me to live a a fine and adventurous life in my 20s. Right, Um, well, examples are, like I said, Broadway shows, then some Lincoln Center jobs, some, um, you know, Carnegie Hall jobs, and then some opera jobs that were out of town during the summer. So an example is Glimmerglass Opera, in upstate New York, and they would hire you for like an eight to 10 week period. And you'd basically move up there and then just play operas for the summer. And so it was was almost like summer camp for adults. It was great. Really, really good music making. Um, Some of the best of the best. uh, I got to play an OK Mozart festival in Oklahoma. And um, one of the interesting jobs I had was playing on a cruise ship in a quartet. Ah, nice. And so we had two singers, a cellist, a pianist. So it was more, you know, an ensemble. And we basically were playing classical music concerts when they would have tea, after prior to dinner, right. or we were part of the headline show. You know, when the dancers, we would accompany some of the dancers. And so this I did for about six months, um, and wow. it was really fun because as a musician on board you get privileges to both be with the um, passengers as well. You can hang out with the crew so we could see all the ports when we weren't playing. Right? Oh, right. So I got, yeah. I got to really know the Mediterranean because we could just go visit because we were never playing when the passengers were off in a port. Right. Yeah. Oh, so fun. that was fun. So lots of tours. Um, there were some some orchestras that went to tour like brazil or japan and you know so you get to travel around the around the country one of the other one was a a a paragon ragtime music that that was really fun because this this group um was really fun because the conductor when he got out of juilliard discovered some scores from the charlie chaplin era okay and um he organized a small orchestra that we would get dressed up just like 19, you know, 12 or 1920s and um, accompany Buster Keaton movies in the background. So they would be silent movies and we would be down in the pit actually playing original scores to Racktime.
0: Oh, neat. So oh, That was yeah. really an,
1: a neat little group. I think they're, they're still going strong and um, they would go around the country and actually playing some of the original theaters.
0: Yeah. Oh, super cool. Hey, let me ask you one question. This is kind yeah. of uh, off the cuff, but uh, there's this really fun Facebook group uh, that's called Gigs from Hell. Uh, so it's musicians that are on there and it's, it's invite only and it's, it's all professional musicians and they share these horrible gig stories uh, from over the years. Do you, do you, does one come to mind as a gig from hell or, or not? <laughs> or do oh they all run smooth sailing? There were so many. <laughs> even, hard to choose
1: it's hard to choose some of the bit, the um the hardest ones were um when you weren't given the right environment to play in so they okay. did a lot of weddings right you know and so right. when you go to a, a wedding um and we've seen lots of bridezillas and <laughs> yeah. you know just nightmares but you'd go show up there and you want to make their day special. And they're like, yeah, this is going to be on a beach in the sand, <laughs> in the sun. And you're like, I'm playing, a, you know, $50,000 instrument here. And yeah. the bow will not stay taut yeah. in this much, you know, ocean water and waves and air coming in. So it was, it was. those were some of the more difficult ones because we're like but we can't be baking in the sun and in the wind so so we would have some of us would have extra like crappy instruments to bring to things like that but sometimes you didn't know right um and then what i do remember is just um you end up commuting a lot right so we'd go to pennsylvania to play and the you know concert would be done at ten, and you know the, they wouldn't want to pay for an extra you know hotel night that night, so we'd be driving. Yeah. And eight out of ten times was like a snowstorm. <laughs> You're
0: like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know the the musician is always the one who's least likely to get uh, an extra couple of bucks at the end of the night, kind of thing. So um, so okay, you you piece together a pretty fun you know, career with, you know, lots of cool experiences. So how did you transition there from being a musician to becoming a a market researcher?
1: Absolutely. So if you had asked me, um, at that time, uh, would I ever consider, you know, doing something else? I would be a flat out no, because I loved what I did. Uh, I, there were some moments during that time, um, that literally inspire you and change your life in a, in a way that you've experienced some really just incredible emotional music, music making that, that's inspirational and unforgettable. And I always right. thought that that was worth all the trouble, right? Right. Yeah. Because we're really kind of trying to do the right thing and be artists and proliferate this sort of quote-unquote dying art, right? Right. Um, so I never wanted to leave. And I never wanted to kind of um, change. However, the decision was sort of made for me. Um, 2008, um, market crashed, as we all remember. Right. And a lot of our corporate sponsors stopped sponsoring um, the, you know, there any kind of donations that were not necessary. Oh, um, right. And so I found myself, even with a contract, not being able to work. And um, twiddling my thumbs, going, I, I, I don't know what what's going to happen next, right? So I gave myself a year in 2008 to audition to as many things that I can to try to land a, you know, on a, a steadier job, right? Mm-hmm. Versus being in New York and being a freelancer. And I did several of them and got somewhere, but didn't get, didn't actually get the offer. And my other option was to go get a doctorate and then try and find an academic position in one of these universities. Right. But I thought that was sort of limiting me because then I could end up wherever that position might open and I might not want to live there. And they are very hard to come by. So I'm almost kind of like just digging myself into more of a pigeonhole. um, than I already was. Right. Right. And so it was a really interesting time. I was in my, um, early thirties at the time. And I started really considering, well, what else could I do? And so I decided to pursue an MBA. Okay. And so I ended up in Phoenix at Thunderbird school of global management.
0: Great And I used my
1: international background as a way to, you know, to get in and the fact that I was self-employed for all these years and was running sort of my own business and uh, got through the program. And that's how I ended up at Intel because they were sourcing, um, some of their interns from, from that school started with an internship and ended up working in finance there for about six, six seven years, and then okay. eventually transitioned into market research.
0: Okay, cool. So what, yeah. what's that transition? What? Uh, how did you move from finance to market research? And tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah,
1: now. that one is, so um, Intel is a big company, and what they do is really encourage people to move around the groups uh, within Intel. It's, it's a fantastic place to work. And um, in the uh, finance organization, we did a rotational program. So it was very normal to go from one group to another to support different uh, business partners. Sure. And in this particular case, um, the business group that I was supporting needed somebody in market research. And I got tapped on the shoulder and said, would you be interested in, in trying this out? Totally different discipline but also needs very similar skill sets as finance, data, um, data analysis, uh, you know, detail oriented, um, you know, kind of, um, inquisitive mind and I said, sure, "Sure, I'll find it I'll, I'll try it. And I really like it. So.
0: Great. Cool. So on the surface, it seems like two totally different worlds, right. Having a career playing, uh, playing the violin and then a corporate career in market research. Although I suspect maybe there's some similarities. Is there anything you've sort of learned from your uh, career as a musician playing the violin that you've applied to uh, your work at Intel?
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. There's so many correlations that I could sit here talk for hours about it. But one <laughs> of the things I think that, um, that what people uh, don't realize about Uh, honing a craft like violin playing takes a lot of discipline and it takes very painstaking practice and you know you showing up every day and methodically solving problems problems you know you're out of tune you're you know your technique needs to be improved you're constantly getting criticized and improving right Mm -hmm. and you get so used to that process that that's how I approach my work at Intel so you know um, just being super prepared for my presentations, uh, you know, attention to detail, making sure that all the, all, you know, everything that I do, I know as much as I can about the particular topic that I need to speak about. Sure. So there's that kind of discipline that gets ingrained in you from, you know, from playing the violin that gets transferred into, um, into corporate world. Uh, one of the books I read was, um, you know, called Peak, The Secrets of a New Science of Expertise, um, okay. and that's by Erickson and Poole. And it's, they talk about specifically violin playing or chess playing or, you know, some of the, um, you know, top-notch athletes and how do they get that peak performance, right? right? And th- there's this concept of deliberate practice that I think is really important. It's not just the 10,000 hours that you put in. If you're putting right. in hours mindlessly, it's not gonna get you where, you're, where you need to go. Right. And so you take that concept, very deliberately taking feedback from your last performance or presentation or analysis that you did and incorporating it consciously into what needs to be improved for the next time. Right, right.
0: right. So you have to be very purposeful about what it is you're practicing rather than just putting in the time.
1: Exactly. Putting in the time is only going to get you so far, but really being conscious of what went wrong and how we can improve it. And focusing on that is something that I think has, has, I think it's served me very well. And then the other part that I don't think a lot of people talk about, but, um, when you're a musician, you really rely on your network and that mm. network becomes yeah. a very important yeah. part of your career. Mm-hmm. So for example, if I can't make a, a a gig or whatever, something comes in or I, you know, broke my finger, whatever, I'm going to call a list of people who I know can jump in and I'm going to give them the job. Right. They'll be grateful yep. I'll be happy. The manager will be even happier. And so you try to do these favors for people, or you know, um, recommendations. Right? If I can't right. do something, I'm booked. Well, here, call, you know, X. Um, and so this is how you kind of spread the wealth, and you know, you kind of uh, uh, build a reputation and a network. That's important. Yeah. I don't think a lot of, I think that's very important in the corporate environment as well.
0: Yes. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, especially working in a big organization like that where um, it's all kind of that informal influence that you need to rely upon, not necessarily the hierarchy.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, uh, establishing trust with your business partners and know that you'll deliver what they need you to deliver. And that kind of thing is one thing, but also... Um, doing them a favor when they need it, you know, um, it it just, the world is a very small place is what I'm trying to
0: say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you mentioned that. I hadn't really thought about that, but certainly in the, in the world of musicians, it's, it's kind of your lifeblood, you know, that's where your next gig is coming from. So
1: absolutely (laughs) from your colleagues and so, and from recommendations and so.
0: Sure. Cool. Cool. Um, All right. So switching gears for for a minute here. Uh, So you've been doing um, the market research thing now for, for a few years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Curious to know a little bit about, you know, based on what you've learned and what you've seen in that role, what does, what does the future look like? I mean, there's so much changing, right? Uh, What, what are some of the emerging trends? What's becoming important? How do you think about it? So
1: the, what, you know, I, I, my, my job is very specific, right? We um, work on market research specifically for, a, um, for the silicon that goes into networking. So for us to be able to talk on this call, sure. um, somebody's computing how much um, demand for Intel products uh, is being driven by this phone call, right? Ah, um, okay. So Fascinating. amazing. Think- yeah, for example, so just one example, right, from this to how the data centers are run and um, you know, just making sure that, that the world, especially in this you know, work from home and study from home environment, um, that this is, is um, that we're able to, 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 to do this efficiently. And so, um, so what I've seen here is that there's a lot of information out there. So this democratization of knowledge Mm -hmm. um, is very proliferated and you can get a lot of information that may not be all that good. And so in the past few years, I've realized that we, um, uh, this, what I talked about before, establishing trust between Mm -hmm. the analysts that are external to Intel, that, um, we understand how they model, how they count. Um, the the market how they understand the dynamics within the market and uh, that becomes a trusted partnership between us and them we nice. need their information and they provide us um, this information objectively um, so that we can create our own point of view
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: think because anybody could do a google search but you just don't know if how reliable this is and so what I yeah. see in at least the roles that that in the, in the near future is that this trusted relationship is going to be even stronger and more important as more information just gets proliferated. You want to know, um, that what you're telling your executives has been vetted, right? Yeah. So, um, in essentially they're all models of opinions. And so we just want to make sure that these opinions have some teeth behind them. And some right, data right. that we understand.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I think, especially uh, in in some of the industries that are so specific yeah. that that Intel works in. You know, I'm looking at the the sticker on my own computer here, and it's so funny because I think the the creation of semiconductors is perhaps you know one of the most complex uh human endeavors ever accomplished but it's boiled down to something as simple as intel inside you know on my on my computer Uh, but a lot of people
1: take it for granted yeah it's
0: it's incredible Um, but then the third parties that are you know doing research on your behalf or you know trying Mm -hmm. to present information to you you have to really vet it and make sure because I'm sure you use those models for financial planning and all that good stuff. 100%. Yeah. yeah. We
1: yeah. need them just as a fiduciary duty to our investors. And we need to make sure that it's objective, vetted, and trusted, and yeah. also from someone outside of Intel. Because we are so big that yeah. it's easy to fall into an um, echo chamber within, within our walls.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Cool. All right, so switching gears here. This is a this is a podcast, right? So, yeah. um, curious to know what media you look to. Can be a podcast, can be whatever media you like. You've already mentioned a book, right? Um, but yeah. <laughs> what media do you turn to for insight, information, or inspiration?
1: Um, this is a really good question. I went through kind of a transformation over the past couple of years uh where i um i'm very careful about my where i pay attention where my attention goes i feel like um media is out there to grab our attention at any cost right Right. and so um so what i uh uh, so what i do is is i pay for my news i you know I, i look to economists and things that are subscription um just to get a little bit more of I think fidelity is in, and not just the headlines. Sure. Right. I like long form blogs. So Mm -hmm. I subscribe to things like Ben Thompson, strategy or um, Scott Galloway, no mercy, no malice,
0: things like that. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Commentate commentators on just the world. Um, And from podcasts, like I'm interested in health topics and achieving your optimal performance so Huberman podcast is, is something that I'll, I'll listen to and then lots sure. of books I'm in front of a computer so many hours and that I prefer a physical book so yeah. I like just I just like books um again um I some of the favorites lately were breath by James Netster so yeah. something about yeah. you know how we breathe and that's very important how when you play music uh, breath is very important and so that was kind of a fun one Um, on diet. Big fat surprise. Nina Tasholz. I don't know. That was a good one too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Emotions. How emotions are made. Alisa Feldman Barrett. Um, And then some fiction here and there. Like I played the show Wicked and I read the book just
0: Oh you played you know, the just, show was that one of yeah. your, your Broadway shows?
1: Yeah yeah yeah. Oh so that oh, that's That awesome. was a really fun show to play. <laughs> yeah. Um, I played Phantom, I played Wicked, I played um oh. Beauty and the Beast when that was on. Yeah. And um some of the others I, I can't really remember all, But so Wicked was a really fun one and the book is quite quite deep and thoughtful and you know uh, yeah it's not just a fun you know show <laughs> yeah
0: so cool cool awesome yeah uh i suspect you got lots of really really cool stories uh buried in there uh for sure <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but okay so let's let's get to what i really want to know and i'm i'm super curious about this right cuz okay. you, you've music has been your whole life Uh, And of course, you know, I can I can assume what some of the answers might be to this, but uh, you never know. So that's why I asked the question. All right. (laughs) all right, Leona. So you're stranded on a desert island. You've got three records. I also like the physical media, you know, myself, the albums here. You have three three records uh, of your choosing to keep you company for the rest of your days. What what are they?
1: All right. Number one, Keith Jarrett, the Kuhn concert.
0: Ah, nice. Yeah, very interesting.
1: Just love that one. As a matter of fact, when I'm modeling, this is what's on. Um, It just puts me in a a very, very cool state of mind.
0: Yeah, cool.
1: Another one, uh, Bach Goldberg Variations, Glenn Gold.
0: Okay. another
1: one that is a really good one to put you in a meditative sort of mind. Um, um, Any Mozart opera doesn't matter just any one of them pick one <laughs> and then I, I was like i love rock and roll too and so i couldn't decide which one album so i would say something anything from chili peppers especially from the early days yeah. um the queen beetles you know I, I just love a lot of different types of rock
0: okay um, so, so. <laughs> it sounded like a mixtape there, Leona.
1: <laughs> I think so. It's going to have to be a mixtape. The one, you know.
0: <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to let you get away with a cheat there. You know, everyone tries to cheat this question, but uh, there's nothing I can do. So we'll give you a mixtape <laughs> as long as I can pick some of the songs. So
1: oh, 100%.
0: <laughs> All right. Super cool. Well, this has been such a fun chat, Leona. I can't wait Thank to you. continue the conversation because I got so many more stories I don't want to hear of yours, I'm sure. Uh, But in the meantime, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Let's definitely stay in touch. Rock and roll. Rock and roll.